0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Get ready for Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator.
2: The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Barry Craig
3: speaking. On call like I am, as a confidential investigator, the open door, come one, come all, you don't always get cases that run according to Hoyle. Every once in a while, you catch yourself a Lulu, a case that puts a strain on your imagination. A case, say, in the category of a spookaroo. (laughs) You find yourself hobnobbing with ghosts and talking turkey to the dead. One like that began for me in the New York office of the Trans-Southern Insurance Company of Omaha. I've been urgently requested to come calling, please, by a claims agent named Brenahan, Roy C. Brenahan.
4: I'll explain the assignment we have for you, Craig.
3: Before you do, answer me this. What's with your regular investigators? Why pull an outsider
4: in? Well, we want this investigated unofficially. Mm. We, we don't want to stir up anything that will expose us to a libel suit. I catch... In case you're pulling a boner that's
3: a uh, harassing innocent people. Yes. What's the story?
4: Our file number, 15466. Uh, double indemnity case, now officially closed. We paid out $50,000 to the widow of a subway accident victim named Remo Torch. This was 90 days ago. So? And I'll play you a recording I secretly made of an anonymous telephone call I was party to yesterday. Now listen carefully, Craig. Hello.
5: Hello, Mr. Roy Brenahan, please. This is Roy Brenahan speaking. I've got some information for you. Yes? Your company paid a $50,000 claim to a Mrs. Remote Torch three months ago. You remember it? Of course, sir. Uh, a Remo Torch fell to his death off a subway platform. What about it? The claim was a fraud. It wasn't Remo Torch who fell under a train.
4: But his widow identified the body. The identification was false. Uh, who are you? A friend. Goodbye. Uh, Mr. Wait, don't hang up. Identify yourself and there's a bonus. But uh, my anonymous caller hung up, Craig, without identifying himself. I thought about it overnight, and today I called you in.
3: Oh, it could be a crank call, or an envious relative with a weird sense of humor. You must get a thousand crackpot telephone calls.
4: Yes, we do. We can't ignore them. Even if there's the smallest possibility of... Of recovering a paid-out claim.
3: Yeah, I've heard about the insurance claims agents, the fanatical watchdogs you fellows get to be... You're hoping and praying I turn up a scheming widow and proof that a third party was pushed off that subway platform and the corpse palmed off on you as remote torch.
4: Handle this delicately as if we have nothing to do with it. Like it's a case of your own.
3: I can't be too delicate about exhuming a body. I need to get a court order for that. So do you want to get yourself another boy? No, I'll stick with you, Craig. Or be stuck with me. Ten percent, Branahan. Any monies I recover for good old Trans-Southern, earmark 10% for Barry Craig. While waiting for red tape to unravel on the court order for exhumation of a corpse, I went to see the scheming widow. 169 Seneca Street was her last known address. A street where the drunks outnumbered everybody else. I ran into a very curious development at 169 Seneca. No widow torch. A janitor who looked like his mind wandered explained the widow's absence.
4: Widow Torch is dead.
3: A dead policy holder and a dead, though rich, beneficiary. I had quite a cast of live suspects. The next evening, I drove myself to the Hillcrest Cemetery on Sycamore Street out in Long Island, where the mangled remains of Remo Torch had been buried. I had a signed court order okaying exhumation to serve on the caretaker there, an old geezer named Sam Billings. Going through the big iron gate, I heard the night chimes. Night is a nice time to go calling on a graveyard if you hate yourself. Every superstition you had as a kid comes back to haunt you. You begin to see things and hear things. Going up a narrow path toward the caretaker's house, I heard things. A scream as if somebody was being murdered not 50 yards away. I got to the scream. It was the old caretaker Billings on the ground near an open grave and a dead faint. Taker came too, eyed as if he'd seen the devil and clawing at me as if no, I was the devil.
6: No. Quit it, Billings. No, go away.
3: Keep choking no. me and I'll have to flatten you. I'm Barry Craig, a confidential investigator now concentrating on insurance. Now, if you can collect your wits, old man. You're an investigator. Who'd you think I was? Him. Him? Who? isn't dead. Makes sense, old man.
7: I was making my rounds like every night when I heard a noise. No, noise I'll never forget if I live to be a hundred.
3: The odds are away against you, the hypertension you've got.
7: I turned to look, bringing my light close. And it was the
3: lid of a coffin coming off, as if by itself. Neatest trick of the century. And then what happened? I live to be a... We've already been through that.
7: Then the dead man got up and stood there, alive as you're standing here, all green under the moon.
3: How does the rest of the hallucination go?
7: I... Watched him go off, not making a sound, and walking in a funny little hop. And then... You
3: screamed and fainted dead away. The next thing you knew, you had your fingernails in my neck. Now get your bearings and throw a light on that coffin. I want to have a look.
7: See, the casket is empty.
3: Empty it is. So a stiff came to, forced the lid open, turned green under the moon, and then went on the town.
7: It's something to believe, but... I saw it with my own eyes. With
3: that 20-20 vision you don't have, did you also see who dug him up? Dug him up? That's what I asked, if you'll really open your eyes. Six feet of dirt piled in two neat hills on both sides of the grave. See it? Uh, yes. To get out from under, your stiff needed a muscular accomplice on the outside. Who was supposed to be buried in that grave? I can't make out the name on the
7: tombstone. Torch. Remote Torch.
3: case was coming to life, but literally. I left caretaker Billings to sleep off his jitters and got into my car. Driving down tree-shaded Sycamore Street, my headlights picked up a character moving along the sidewalk in a funny little hop. A funny little hop were exactly the words the caretaker had used describing his stiff who'd come alive. My man on the sidewalk was loping along like that, a kind of hop, skip, like a guy who had no control over his reflexes. I switched from brights to dims, slowed the car down to a crawl, and trailed him into a tavern, a big neon sign advertised as Bond Stable Inn. I went in after him. My man wasn't after eats or bottle goods. He was out to make a phone call. I watched him thumb through a directory, then get into a booth. As soon as it was safe, I eased into the adjourning booth to hear what I could hear.
5: I must see you. At once, tonight. Well, you must come. In Burnside Park, near the front. I'll be there waiting for you.
3: I watched him start for the open door of the tavern. I checked the phone directory where he'd left it open and read off the name where his fingernail had left a line under it. Mrs. Verna Talbot, it said. 2580 Merridale Drive. (laughs) A guy risen from the dead was dating a woman. I was right there in Burnside Park in a grandstand seat behind a row of bushes when they met. My man was hanging off to his side as if he wasn't really meeting the woman, but ambushing her. I could hear her high heels clicking toward him. Hello,
5: Mary.
8: Mary? You're calling me Mary? Yes. You're not who you said you were on the telephone.
5: No, I'm not. It was a ruse to get you to come. I'll come out of the shadows so you can see my face. Well? Your
8: face is chalk.
5: It's a dead face.
8: And your
5: eyes. They're dead eyes, Mary. I've been dead, but I've come back. I've come back to claim you, Mary. Mary, my wife. You're insane. Ah. I'm not
8: your Mary or your Ah. wife. I don't even know you. Let me go. Help.
3: He wasn't just claiming her. He was strangling her. I got busy. Let go of her, mister. Suppose we postpone introductions for later. Ah. (laughs) Oh. He might have been risen from the dead, but he reacted to the old one, too, like anybody else. He was out cold, stiff, like Grigor Mortis had come back. While he slept it off, I revived the dame and questioned her. I'm Barry Craig, an investigator, madam. I'd like a few honest facts and no ad-libbing. Remember, I probably just saved your life.
8: I'm grateful. The man is insane.
3: You acted as if you didn't know him.
8: I never saw him before in my life.
3: He's allegedly a Remo Torch.
8: He said he'd come back from the dead.
3: So far as we know right now, could be. If you don't know the man at all, why did you agree to meet him here?
8: He telephoned me and said he was Tom Avery. I've known a Tom Avery.
3: Your name is Mrs. Verna Talbot?
8: Why, yes. How did you know?
3: Never mind how. You live with your husband?
8: Yes, I do. But he mustn't know I came here to meet Tom Avery.
3: Jealous? Yes.
8: We get along badly, my husband and I. We're together, but we live separate lives. Oh. May I please go now?
3: Sure. I don't see why not. I watched her melt into the night, half mink, half woman. Then I sat down to rest up take stock and wait. (laughs) I'd sure find myself a bright way of making a living. There I was in a public park at 2 a.m., waiting for a corpse to rise for the second time in one night, this time out of dreamland. Remo Torch, or whoever he really was, slowly came out of the dreamland I'd rocked him into. He got up on his feet, rubbing his jaw where I'd clipped him. With a wild gleam in his eye and his teeth showing as if he were getting set to jump me, I threw a gun on him fast. Don't try anything, Torch, or I'll prove to you that dead men bleed. Gonna do what I say, nice and cooperatively? I'll do what you say. My car's outside the park. We'll get into it and drive to my apartment.
5: To your apartment?
3: For a hot to heart talk. Shake your head and I turn you over to the cops. It's all a choice you've got right now, me or the cops. I'll go with you. I got him home with me okay and put him to bed. When he fell asleep, I handcuffed him to the bed and tied his feet. Then I showered and waited for daylight in a good morning chat with Lieutenant Trev Rogers at Willie's coffee pot. I don't get half of what you have told me, Craig. Half's enough to hold you for now. Feed ghost stories to little boys a spoonful at a time, an old teacher of mine used to say. Just you run down a few items, I asked, huh, pal? You want me to find out when a Mary Torch died? And who signed the death certificate, and where was she buried? Phone me the minute you know. Uh, Craig. Yeah? Being your blind helper... Just how did I get so degraded? (laughs) The coffee's my treat. Have yourself a second cup, chum. Torch was wide awake when I got back from Trav Rogers. I untied his feet but kept the handcuffs on. All recovered from your busy night, Torch?
5: What do you want with me? I'll settle for the story of your life. I can only remember the story of my death. I died August 28, 1951. Okay, I'll play straight, man. Go ahead and tell me the story of your death. My last day alive was a Friday. After breakfast, I left home and... my wife, Mary, to take a subway train downtown. In the subway, the express platform was crowded, as it always was. But waiting for my train... I could feel one man closest to me. Why this one man? He went everywhere I went. What did he look like? Seeing him was like looking into a mirror and seeing myself. He uh, resembled you? This man who was always behind me was a man with my face. Oh, go on. He was behind me, this man with my face. A train was coming in. I heard its warning sound, and then I saw it come at me, hissing like an iron dragon with enormous eyes that held me spellbound. I tried to push back, but hands threw me forward, forward into the jaws of the iron dragon. No! That's how I died August 28th, three months ago. You don't believe the story of my death?
3: When I do, peddle me to Bellevue. That's how you were supposed to have died August the 28th last. That's the phony story in the Trans-Southern insurance files. You were supposed to have died like that, Torch, only you didn't. Somebody else
5: did. Somebody else did?
3: Yeah. The patsy whose remains were identified as Remo Torch. The poor devil who was really in that coffin you supposedly stepped out of last night. Excuse me. Barry Craig speaking. Barry, this is Tramp Rogers.
4: Mary Torch died a month ago, a heart attack. And Eric Carter signed the death certificate. She was buried in Hillcrest Cemetery like her husband before
3: her. I got it. Thanks, Trav.
4: Can I be of any further service to you?
3: Yeah, you can. Send one of your boys over to my apartment. I've got a prize package I want under lock and key while I roam the world. (laughs) Had the graveyard habit. There I was again at Hillcrest Cemetery, waving another court order at old caretaker Billings. This time with the name Mary Torch spelled out on it. Old Billings read the court order, sneaking a little foolish grin at me as he read. Here's to be an order, Mr. Craig. Can you round up a couple of diggers right away? They can build Trans Southern for the labor.
7: It's easy to do.
3: For a guy hoodooed by the risen dead last night, you're looking mighty cheerful today. I'll bet a tombstone you solved the mystery of the empty coffin for yourself.
7: You're a discerning man, Mr. Craig.
3: You found a body somewhere. The body, the real Remo Torch, sneaked out of that coffin before he got into it. It's time for you to come along and get an eyeful. I'm right, huh?
7: You're right. And I'm a foolish old man.
3: Where would you find the body that was buried as Remo Torch?
7: Not 20 feet from where we're standing. Show me. Right here by those flower beds it was. Very shallow. Flowers had been tramped on, and I went to investigate. I saw the dirt had been turned over fresh, and then I noticed a foot. A foot sticking. Cut. leaves something
3: to my imagination. Now go round up those diggers. The slab of marble read Mary Torch. Two beefy gents were digging her up. They wore a look on their kisses that said they'd just love to make an argument of it. They were the same team who'd buried the Mary Torch coffin only a month ago. To them, I was some creep undoing doing a work of art. Me and my court order. You've got the coffin exposed enough, men. Now use the crowbar on it. I soon got a look at the contents of the coffin.
7: No. body, Mr. Craig. The casket's full. Full is the word,
3: Billings. Full of rocks. The answer to the rocks was obvious. Mary Torch's death was a phony, and ditto a burial. I found out how it was maneuvered by an entry in the cemetery record book.
7: It's uh, the name of the undertaker you want,
3: or whoever supervised the so-called burial.
7: Huh. Here it is, Mary Torch. And Eric Carter supervised the burial. Does the name mean something to you?
3: Does it? Eric Carter's the same joker who also signed the phony medical certificate. The great insurance swindle and how it was accomplished began to stitch into one piece. I had almost all the answers, enough answers anyhow, to parlay into a climax. Only somebody was working his own idea of a climax. A climax to Barry Craig. I'd left Hillcrest through the big iron gates for the drive back to Manhattan. I switched on the ignition. Good thing the cemetery was convenient to call the fuss and bother out of my burial. The risen dead. I was getting a whack at the trick myself. I was dragging toward a light. A light no bigger than an arrowhead waiting for me somewhere at the end of a long sleep. And bells, bells tolling morning. Morning, the bells were saying. Now wake up, Craig. Wake up.
4: Craig, look at me.
3: And the voice, the face... The face of someone I'd seen around the Trev Rogers. How did you come to die, Trev?
4: I didn't. And neither did you, the miracle is. You're in Shore Park Hospital. in emergency. Huh. Huh. A time bomb hooked to your starter cable. Step on the car starter and blow yourself up. A gimmick with whiskers. A long gray beard. It's an old murder device, more eaten but they got you, Craig.
3: How bad am I? You're one for Ripley. I'm okay? Is that what you mean? Just lacerations of the head
4: and neck. Shock. You're wearing more bandages than King Tut. You're also, minus an automobile.
3: I'll build Trans Southern. Trev, get me out of here. I want Remo Torch back. As soon as I'm dressed, he and I are going bye-bye. I taxied Remo Torch across town to an address in my little black book, 2580 Meridale Drive. I'm reuniting you with the lady you made a scene over last night, Torch.
8: Yes, you.
3: Us. May we come in? But... You remember Remo Torch?
8: Well, yes, of course. After last night, could I forget?
3: I guess not. Especially since he only tried to strangle you. It'd be even harder to forget him if you were his wife.
8: His wife? I'm Verna Talbot. My husband is George Talbot, a manufacturer's representative.
3: Hooray for employment. Is your husband around? Yes. Introduce him to us. Very well. George. Yes, Werner? This is my husband, Mr. Craig. That's him. Oh. Him, Torch, him who? It's the man with my face. It's my murderer, my murderer. Get this
1: madman off me. Torch. torch, no more of that. Let go of him.
3: My apologies for my friend's behavior, Talbot. There does seem to be a superficial resemblance between you. Same general features, sort of. Nonsense. This man's plainly insane. Insane like a fox? I'd say Torch has a pretty shrewd idea of what he's up to. I'd even say he was trying to drive a couple of schemers crazy before the law caught up with them.
4: I don't understand a thing you're saying, Mr. Uh, Craig. Craig. All Greek to you, huh?
3: Suppose I spell it out and you see if you get the drift. Torch's wife had him marked for murder. The lady wanted to cash in his insurance and then marry her boyfriend and Eric Carter. The boyfriend began following poor Torch around, waiting for a chance to knock him off. But Torch caught on to what was cooking and figured out a way of outsmarting the schemers. Drop the insanity post, Torch, and tell him how you did it.
5: I have hired an unemployed bid actor to wear my clothes and play at being me. You. The actor came down the steps of
3: Torch's house every morning, stopped at the same newsstand, then went into the subway to ride to his office, as Torch would. Am I right on that, Torch? Yeah. The device worked. You fell for it, Talbot, because you'd never actually met Remo Torch. Did you say I fell for it? I said just that. You pushed a stooge hired by Torch under that train. Madam here identified what was left of the stooge and collected her 50000 But Torch was really alive and kicking all the time. How much does it take to coax a confession out of you, Mr. Eric Carter,
4: alias Talbot, or you, Mrs. Torch?
8: We're
4: caught, Eric. Are we, Mary? I rather think I have our little problem very much under control. Keep your hands as they are, Craig. No good,
3: Carter. How far do you think a gun's going to get you? Oh,
8: I told you we'd lose, Eric. Stop whining, you you,
3: fool. Face it, Carter. The lady wants out. The way it's stacking, I'll bet she turns states evidence. Now drop that gun. Get back, Craig. I said drop it. You crazy fool. Let go, Mike. Oh. When you shoot somebody, Carter, be sure you keep possession of the gun. Craig, I I didn't
7: mean to shoot you. It was an accident in the struggle for the gun. Craig, don't shoot me.
3: Tit for tat. In a minute, I'm going to pass out. I don't want you on the loose when I do. Tit for tat in the leg. Just enough to make you say put. Craig, No. Torture. Yes, Gray. Call police headquarters. Rogers. Lieutenant Trav Rogers. from a long sleep and there's the same face in front of you, like a pin-up on a wall. Don't look now, Craig, but you're back in Shore Park Hospital. Emergency. What's my medical complaint this time? Bullet in your left thigh. You'll be out in a week and limp for a month. Oh, great. And now that you're conscious, you want to talk. Eric Carter, masterminded the phony death and burial of Mary Torch, and also planted the time bomb. Uh, one minute, Craig. Yeah? You're forgetting you played the case very close to the vest, that you so far only told me about half of it. Oh, oh. That makes the conclusions I'm giving you a little puzzling. A little incomprehensible. How long did you say I lay over here? A week. Pull up a bed, tran Pull up a bed? I got a long story to tell you. As the conscientious officer of the law, I know you want to hear it. Weak as I feel, and long as the story is, I figure it will take about a week to tell. Good night, folks. See you next week.
2: You have been listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator.
3: There's a big house up the river that always has the welcome mat out, folks. Just drop in. Any old crime.
2: The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
3: Barry Craig speaking. The streamlined confidential operator keeps a case file with a nod to police regulations and with an eye to posterity. A book of memoirs someday, you figure, to show your grandchildren you were full of hustle yourself once upon a time. You keep a well-detailed file. Case number of so-and-so, the nature of the crime, the principal actor, the outcome. And page one stating by who and just how were you pulled into the felony in the first place. Take the file in my hand right now. Numbered 113. Who asked me into the case reads Father Neptune? Father Neptune, old man C. Case I worked gratis. The old man didn't even throw me a fish. I'd been at a sailing over the West Side Pier, seeing a friend off. I hung around the docks for a while, walking off the champagne and canopies and wondering what there is about a lonesome river at night that makes the little man inside you cry. Well, about that time, Father Neptune decided to take my thoughts off me and transfer them to a mermaid in the drink. Help! A drowning mermaid, Help! the way it sounded. Help! Where are you? Over here. I can't swim. Help! Oh, December is a great month for a dipper to the river if you're a polo bear. But in I went.
6: Hey! Hey, grab a hold of me. Oh, oh Hey, I didn't play a stranglehold. Cooperate oh, to your rescue, lady, or I'll have to. Oh, okay, much as I hate to. Oh.
3: <laughs> On the pier, it took time to bring her to. I worked her arms, pump handle style, and water sprayed from oh, her like a fountain. Oh. She finally came around to join the battle of the sexes hit me? To break your stranglehold. It's in the book.
0: What book?
3: How to save hysterics from drowning themselves and the rescuer.
0: Oh. You didn't have to hit me so hard. Oh, My jaw. Feel the welt.
3: Hmm. Got my brand on it now. B.C. B. C.? Barry Craig. The initial man's ring I'm wearing left initials on your jaw.
0: You're crazy.
3: And cold.
0: Yeah, me too.
3: Pray it's pneumonia. Well, why that? There's no cure for a cold. So? There's a
9: cure for pneumonia. Penicillin.
0: You are crazy.
9: You want an ambulance?
0: Definitely not.
9: A uh, police wagon? Don't
0: you dare. Then what? Uh, Your place?
1: Is that proper?
0: How can I know? We've only just met, Barry.
3: We got into dry things. And properly enough to rate a good conduct medal from the mayor. I got a hard, square look at my mermaid. Okay, a face and a figure that makes truck drivers water their whistles.
0: Um, Penny, for your thoughts. I'm wondering. About?
3: How many lies you're going to tell before you tell the truth?
0: <sighs> no more than I can help, I promise. Your name? Susan Lynn.
3: What made you go for a swim?
0: But I can't swim. That's what I mean. I, I-, I fell into the river by accident. I uh, I was walking and my foot caught in a loose board on the pier and
3: start all over again.
0: I wasn't pushed in. No. No. Fact is, I jumped in. Why? I'm like that. Peculiar. I get fed up with things.
3: Things like
0: nothing special, just life, men, the way the world is. I just get an uncontrollably morbid impulse, and then I'm sorry.
3: What if nobody happens along to save you for the next impulse?
0: Goodbye, Susan Lane. She wasn't much.
3: Uh... Oh, excuse me. Hello? Hello. Have I got the right party? Have you?
9: Well, I mean, are you the Joe who pulled the
3: blonde out of the drink? The name isn't Joe.
1: I followed you to your joint, white guy.
3: And my phone number?
1: Your name's in the bell, Barry Craig, and your number's in the book. I see. Are you interested in hearing what I got to tell you?
3: I've heard nothing so far.
9: Well, open your ears, stupid. Hey, don't believe anything the dame tells you. I don't. What'd she tell you so far?
3: That dill pickles make her hiccup.
9: Okay, be a dope. All
3: right. She said she'd attempted suicide.
1: Baloney, she was tossed into the drink, picked up off the ground and thrown to the fish. You know that? I saw. Where do you fit into this? We won't go into that. Another thing. Paste this song title in your hat. Sugar Loaf Mama. Sugar Loaf Mama? It's number one in the jukebox, you stupid. Where do you spend your nights?
3: Standing up in a closet to improve my posture.
1: Now the song's the key to the whole deal with a girl. Now
9: make like a detective. Come by.
3: I made like a detective with Susan.
0: All right, I did lie. Somebody attempted my life. Who? Uh, He wore a mask.
3: And why?
0: I don't know.
3: Oh, we're sure making progress.
0: I can't tell you what I don't know.
3: I suppose I might as well skip asking uh, who was with me on the telephone.
0: Skip asking me.
3: The song, Sugarloaf Mama. What about it?
0: It's a huge popular success. I heard. I work for the music publisher who owns it. I'm a stenographer.
3: The publisher owns it, you say? Did the publisher also write the song?
0: Yes, but that's something now in, in dispute. Between whom? Mr. Sampson, the publisher, my boss, and a songwriter, Mervyn Marlowe. They're fighting a lawsuit over the rights, over the profits.
3: And uh, you come in where?
0: I'm a witness for Mr. Sampson.
3: Testifying to what?
0: That my boss never personally received a song submitted by Mervyn Marlowe. That it's our firm policy to return unsolicited manuscripts unopened.
3: Who's telling the truth? Your boss, Sampson, or this Marlowe?
0: You ask a lot of questions.
3: One of them may be trying to murder you. Yes, I know. Don't you care? Do you? What if I do?
0: Then you'll protect me and worry about me. Now, I want to get back into my clothes and go home.
3: Oh, here. You're dirt. The radiator steam-dried them. Use the kitchen. Thanks. And uh, don't forget this.
0: This? Oh, my ring.
3: Say, it's quite a rock.
0: Don't be fooled. It's only a cheap Mexican diamond.
3: I'd never believe it. A lightning change of wardrobe, and we were on the street, arm in arm, like we've been engaged since the high school prom.
0: Call a cab, Barry.
3: Taxi! Hey, taxi! Want
9: uh, company going home?
0: I was wondering when you'd ask
3: me. Get in. Don't try it, cousin.
9: Huh? You just say something? I said stay out of my cab. Now, wait a minute.
1: Oh. You were going to make a quarrel out of it? That was before your
3: gun.
9: Barry!
1: The gun pointing at me, Susan. Yeah, relax, lady. All you stand to lose is his company. What's my loss? Skin off the top of your head. Now, I want ten minutes before you phone the cops. One favor, please. What? Do it to me over
3: here, close to the left ear. What's a gag? You're not the first to take a liking to my
1: head. Oh. The rest of your head's still sore, huh? And on Uh, If you're going to. Sure. Close to the left
3: (laughs) ear. You fall down and you get up. You're still the same guy, except that your legs of age ten years and your hat doesn't fit. While looking for a phone booth, I put one and one together. My anonymous caller and the kidnapping cab driver add up to one guy,
5: the same guy.
6: Hello?
3: Give me Lieutenant Trav Rogers, please.
6: You've got
3: him, Craig. Oh. Oh, your voice is changing, Trav. Should I worry? Over losing a squeaky soprano? official.
6: What
1: about?
3: Mayhem in December. I found a girl and lost her.
4: Sad. I can refer you to a lonely hearts club.
3: A torpedo masquerading as a hacky put the snatch on her.
4: More facts,
6: please.
3: Susan Lane, five feet two, blonde, blue eyes, wrinkled dress that needs ironing. Wrinkled dress? Stop prying into my inner life. The hacky, so-called, was heavy set, meat-faced with uh, jowls like Pluto the dog. Brown and white taxi cab. Did you get the license number? No, no. I was about to when I uh, fell down and hurt my head.
4: You were assaulted?
3: If there's a law against slugging confidential investigators... There,
6: hasn't. We had our decorations for it here at headquarters. What danger is the girl in?
3: Catching a cold.
6: Catching a cold? A
3: permanent cold. Send out a general alarm, Trav. She's too beautiful to die. Oh, hasn't? Uh-uh, now. No personality. Goodbye, now. Eli Sampson, music publisher, occupied a building that looked like an inferiority complex. Council streaks for paint. Outside windows with the dust of ages on them. And a broken down staircase that made you feel like a dinosaur walking on eggs. The staircase was going to loom big in my future as I soon found out. The first warning I had was a shot. Correction, two shots and then a yell from an upper landing i yell a bloody murder enough to freeze me in my tracks. I stood still automatically in the middle of the staircase, and that was my murder, undoing.
7: Murder! sounded
3: like a stampeding herd was coming smack at me.
7: Get him! Stop him!
3: Help him. him was a wild-eyed maniac
9: who looked like he jumped out of the street. Out of my way, you. I'd love to oblige, but narrow like the staircase is. It's for bottlenecks. I said out of my way. i need time to shift the reverse. Let me do it for you. <gasps>
3: Relocated in the world with splinters of railings stuck in me like toothpicks. And a guy standing solemnly over me. A janitor holding a mop and a soap bucket. A janitor out of a Max Sennett comedy, blowing mustache and dressed in the top half of a cutaway with a battered derby on his head, a, a
9: brown derby.
3: You seem fully recuperated, my boy.
9: Not recuperated, only recovered.
3: What was that railing tied together with? Pieces of string? Iron glue.
2: I myself perform the repairs. Here, I'll help you up. Oh, don't bother. What are you made up for? You refer to my elegance? To the mop and the bucket. A temporary condition, my boy. The mare is down, the mare is up. Up being? Stocks and bonds. Oh. I fluctuate as it fluctuates. You're uh, staring at me?
6: Yeah,
3: trying to place you. I've seen that odd kisser of yours before. Along
2: the stock exchange, perhaps? No, no.
3: Who did all that shouting on the upper landing?
2: It was me, summoning help. Who got shot? One Eli Sampson. The miscreant fugitive who butted you so unceremoniously. You'll get nuts in your tongue, Le Mind if I leave you for Sampson? Not at all. I'm in no mood to be interviewed today. The market is Down. (laughs)
3: Found Sampson in his office, fluttering his I oh, oh, How do you feel? Oh,
1: dead, dead.
3: That makes you a talking corpse. You got a career in vaudeville ahead. Oh,
1: that maniac, Mervyn Marlowe, murdered me. Yeah.
3: Burned your left wrist a little. Only a flesh wound. Not much damage for two point-blank pistol shots.
1: Oh, I'll lose the arm. I'm sorry to disagree. Well, then it's a miracle.
3: Yeah, music publishers never die. They just fade away. Oh, here's the gun used on you. It was thrown down. Yes,
1: that's the gun the maniac terrorized me with. Give it to me. It's evidence for the district attorney. I'll keep the gun a while. But... I'm a
3: licensed detective. This Mervyn Marlowe is a
1: songwriter battling you in the courts? A songwriter? A song thief? He didn't write Sugarloaf Mama? Lies. His claims are lies. Mervyn Marlowe can't even write his own name.
3: He can't shoot straight. That makes him kind of useless all around. Uh, Samson.
1: Yes, yes.
3: A girl, Susan Lane. Susan Lane, my stenographer? Your late stenographer,
1: maybe. She's been kidnapped. Kidnapped? By whom? But tough. Hired by Mervyn Marlowe. What motive would Marlowe have? To shut her up. To stop her from testifying to the truth when we go to court. The truth being? That nobody here read his song manuscript or even opened the envelope.
3: How big is Marlowe's temptation to murder? Come on, Samson. Don't shy at boasting. Sugarloaf
1: Mama is a gold mine sales, and sheet music alone run over $100,000.
3: The motive a plenty to keep Blondie
1: from testifying at all costs. you will kill Susan. You'll find her dead. Where do I find Mother Marlowe? In a garret in East Harlem, uh, 3601 First Avenue. A crazy bohemian in a cold water garret with a piano. 3601 First Avenue.
3: Call yourself an ambulance. Let that wound infect and you'll be the one-armed wonder of the music publishing business. Before quitting the building, I looked up Lemaire, the janitor. I found him in the basement, washing up.
2: Welcome to my humble quarters, my boy.
3: Try your face. I've got something to discuss. Proceed. You uh, clean the offices as well as the halls? Yes. The mockery of it. Being able to use your master key as you are, you're no doubt well familiar with the contents of the offices? I am. After a fashion, that is. And uh, after a fashion... Also familiar with the contents of the desk?
2: Do I detect an innuendo that I snoop? You detect. Face and reprehensible slander, my boy. As of this moment, consider our discussion terminated.
3: This gun, have you ever seen it before? You've seen it in Samson's office, maybe? Okay, so we're going to play close now. Is this your locker? I asked, is this your locker? It is. Open it. Why? I want to total up the stamps, the scotch, clips, and rubber bands. Uh, you're day's haul, Le man. You dare accuse me
9: of the pettiest of thievery.
3: Yeah, I dare. You see, I uh, placed your odd kisser where i have seen it before, that is. The south of France, was it? The uh, Rogue's Gallery, it was. Weldon Le Maire, alias the Baron. And what's snatching ladies' handbags, if not their petty thievery? Shh, not so loud. I lose face with the building management. Tell me what I want to know.
2: Yes. I have seen this precise pistol before. Where? In Mr. Sampson's desk drawer. The uh, bottom left drawer, if my memory serves. Uh,
3: you've cost me a pretty piece of change.
6: A hmm,
3: blackmail you could have wrung out of Samson. So, it's Sampson's own gun, huh? The old reprobate shot himself? You old reprobate sure did. Visiting the rundown garret the songwriter Mervyn Marlowe lived in, I got a smell of trouble even before I asked in. Who's there? I didn't need X-ray vision to know a crackpot songwriter on the other side of the door was healed with a gun.
9: Who's there?
3: I want to talk to you, Marlowe. The
9: door's unlocked. Come in.
3: Come in and nod hello to a gun. An old familiar situation. I came in, but with a bang. Oh. Paolo was out cold with his fingers coiled around a gun. A gun I relieved him of. He came to, cursing himself. Uh, Stand away from the door the next time you invite a fly into the web, sucker. Oh, you dirty... You won't make out. When you find it monotonous, tell me. Samson used his own gun on himself.
9: You'll know that?
3: I don't go for a gag as obvious as Samson's frame... Now get up, behave, and fill in the facts.
9: Samson asked me to call on him for a talk. We had an argument. Samson said if I didn't drop my lawsuit, he'd he'd scandalize me as a mad dog murderer. I socked him one on the jaw, and Samson grabbed a gun out of a desk drawer. And? He said he'd frame me if I didn't sign papers swearing my claims to Sugarloaf Mama were a fraud. He said he'd swear the gun was mine and that I'd come in to kill him, that he'd overpowered me and seized the gun after I'd fired at him. When I ran out, Samson fired two shots, not at me. At
3: himself. He gave himself a flesh wound.
9: Ah, that's Samson all over. Anything for a buck. A hundred thousand bucks. Money belonging to me. He stole my song. You'll have your day in court. Yeah, with Samson's lying stenographer, perjuring himself with a boss. Now that we're down to her, where is she? Where is she?
3: What are you talking about? Susan Lane was kidnapped.
9: Now what frame of... You
3: and Samson are the interested parties. If she was for Samson, she was against you. So? So only you'd have a motive in shutting off her testimony, it would appear. If you arrange the snatch, Marlowe, you're a sucker. Get out from under while you can.
9: Rang off. I had nothing to do with it.
3: How about an attempt on her life on the docks? Nope. You're incapable of it?
9: I'm capable of it, but I didn't do it. You want a hat? Sure.
3: Why? Get it. I'm taking you to the headquarters. What for? You'll only land on the floor again protect you against yourself. That wild gleam in your eye belongs under temporary lock and key. I
9: spent years writing a song, picking my brains, days, nights, starving, in this filthy infested all. Oh, so that swindler, Samson... That's just but...
3: what I mean. The fire night you're cooking at, you've got to explode. If you're really innocent of anything so far, I want to keep you that way. Walk in front of me. At police headquarters,
9: Lieutenant Trav Rogers had sensational news. Susan Lane. We think we found her. Where? A shack up near Gun Hill Road overlooking the railroad yard. But uh, how? Let's go get her, shall we? I'll tell you how another time.
3: It was Susan Lane on the attic floor of a seedy-looking frame dwelling. Trust hand and foot and dead to the world. She's asleep.
4: Here's how we were tipped to a whereabouts.
3: The telephone?
4: The receiver's off the hook. The girl squirmed enough to roll against it and knock the receiver off.
3: The operator became suspicious and called police? Right. Help me untie her, Trev. I've
9: got a pocket knife.
1: Hey, Susan, wake up. Huh? Susan, uh, me Barry. Uh, oh, she uh, seems dopey. An overdose of sedatives, I'd say. See how many pupils of her eyes and yeah. Somebody figured that to sleep, she couldn't make a disturbance.
4: Oh, oh. Where am I?
3: In the arms of the law, baby. I've
4: never seen you this romantic, Craig.
3: Oh. I've always had a soft spot for struggling stenography. Let's all ride downtown now, huh? Riding downtown on the West Side Highway with Trav Rogers thumbing his nose at speed laws, Susan came around to 100% of herself. To, uh, meet against me contentedly, uh, purring like
6: kittens.
1: Oh, I feel so good.
3: You're making Trav's bachelorhood an awful load to bear.
9: Hand-holding will only get your palms sweating Don Juan. Hmm. Suppose we talk about the case, Craig. You talk. Samson and Marlowe. One of them hired the kidnapper.
3: What could Samson's motive be?
9: Same motive he had in shooting himself. Frame
1: and discredited Marlowe in advance of that trial over that song.
3: Possibility.
4: But you don't buy it?
3: Not right away. Oh, uh, take that exit and pull up to Pier 41. What for? It's the pier where the case began. Began for me. Some clue you missed there? Uh, reconstruct the crime. Isn't that standard approved routine? All right, Brain. Pier 41. Susan, uh, yes? Follow me. I'll, I'll need your
6: help. All
3: right. It, uh, began about here. I heard a cry for help. Uh, is this about where you were when a masked somebody threw you into the river?
0: Was, yes, I think so.
3: Good. Now, let's reenact it. Uh, stand facing the river. Uh, yes. I'm the masked mister. I steal up behind you. Grab a hold.
9: <laughs> Don't be ticklish. <laughs>
3: I hoist you into the air, so... Oh, no, I... Craig, do you have to be that realistic? Oh, yeah, I have to be. How else can I heave a cute little bundle like Susan into the drink? <laughs> Craig, you maniac,
9: she can't swim.
3: Oh, can't she? But
9: you saved her life in the first place.
3: Yeah, that's what she wanted me to think. That was the hook, and I swallowed it. She can't swim, huh? Look at that Australian crawl. She swims like a fish. Yeah, good old will to self-preservation. I was counting on that to convict her. What was her game? Dramatize herself. Big. Make out her life was being attempted. To bleed Samson for a big slice of those song profits. More than she's already got. Already got? When she climbs back on the pier, gander at a hunk of so-called Mexican jewelry she's wearing. Appraise the ring of Tiffany. And find out what a Bonanza stenography can be for a smart girl.
1: Samson gave her the ring?
3: A down payment for her perjury.
1: But if the blackmail was set up so good, why embellish it with phony attempts on her life? And the kidnapping.
3: Fear, fear Marlowe could gun for her for lying for Samson. Ditto Samson to keep her from telling the truth. The truth being that Marlowe wrote Sugarloaf Mama. So? So by making herself a police problem, or my problem that is, she scared Samson and Marlowe from daring to her. Clever. Oh, hello, baby. Oh,
0: that was contemptible of you, Barry.
3: A flaw in my character. So sorry. Uh, Just by the way, who was the atrocious kidnapper?
0: My my brother. Why, I'm cold.
3: Where do you suggest we go?
0: Uh, Your place?
3: No, it really wouldn't be proper this time. I'd be pinched for uh, sequestering police property. Case solved. Only Trav Rogers didn't let me just walk away from it. At his insistence, I had to drag down to headquarters to hunt and peck away at a typewriter. How's your detailed police report coming along, Barry? I'll be a month at it the way I type. Hmm, sad. Why are we so suddenly, uh, so, uh, so clerical? Regulation? Section 6, paragraph 4, governing confidential operatives. states... Spare me. But why in such a confounded hurry? Why, right away tonight? I've got flight tickets for St. Nick. Susan Lane's under arrest, thanks to you. I can't just book her, not without a precise stipulation of charges. Then get me a competent typist. <laughs> Sorry, they've all gone home. Patience, Barry. Just put
9: one word after another.
3: Hmm. Oh, less for a case. I worked without a fee yet.
9: Oh, by the way. What? Speaking of fees, the fact is Miss Lane was, uh, uh, sporting enough to worry about then. Are you kidding? No, no, I'm not. She said you were working for her, even though it did boomerang for her. She hates to see you go empty-handed, she says. Sweet, other. Isn't it? Lacking fun, she gave you her dearest possession, her finest jewel, this, uh, this ring.
6: Hey.
3: Why, Trev, the rock's worth five Gs at it's a penny. I'm sure. And now, if you'll hand it back. Hand it back? What for?
9: Regulations governing extorted property. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The girl, unfortunately, came by the ring uh, dishonorably. (laughs) You kill yourself. (laughs) Good night, folks. See you next week.
2: have been listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator. Tonight's story, Song of Death, was written by John Robert. Next week, it's the strange story titled Death of a Private Eye, about which Barry Craig has this to say.
3: Next week, I'm hired to help a man pay a visit, but discover instead that my client has a visitor first. That visitor being...
9: Death. See you next week, folks.
2: Featured in the role of Susan was Amzie Strickland. Barry Craig, starring William Gargan, was under the direction of Hyman Brown. This is Don Pardo speaking.
9: Now enjoy Meredith Wilson's Music Room on NBC.
2: Thanks for joining
1: us at 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. Reviews are always appreciated, so if you have a moment,
2: please do stop and send us one. Until next time, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.